Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with a woman that lost her husband of 30 years. And instead of wallowing in grief, she made a choice not to do just that. And she reinvented her life, dedicating it to helping widowed people move forward through life again in a very positive way. In this episode, we're going to learn a unique seven-step program to healing after loss, help widowed people embrace, enrich, and enjoy their lives once more, and transform your life back to one of laughter and wellness. And of course, finding love again, because we all need love in our lives. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Life After Widowhood. My guest in this episode is Marie Scott. She's an author, a keynote speaker, and a functional medicinal health coach. She's on a mission to help widows and widowers rediscover how to live well, laugh more, and even find love again, which can be done. Using a unique seven-step program to healing after loss, she helps widowed people to embrace, enrich, and enjoy their lives once more. After she lost her husband of 30 years, we're going to learn the secrets to success as you move through the depths of grief and or have been consumed by a devastating circumstance, instantaneous loss, or one that's taking the long goodbye. But it gives you an opportunity to help heal. So Marie is going to help us to understand how to transform your life back to one of laughter and wellness and rebuild your life, giving us a roadmap to success, along with the permission you deserve to navigate out of the vortex of grief Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm absolutely wonderful that you are here. I am so happy that uh, you're going to share these unique opportunities for people to kind of understand that they've still got a life after loss and that uh, you can help them move forward in a life in a very, very, very positive way. Thank you. I know we talked a little bit before the, the show got kind of started, um, before we started recording, but uh, I would like to unfold your life just a little bit. So if we can start at the beginning, I think that would be great. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Rochester, New York, and uh, was the middle child of eight siblings. And so there were 10 of us in a 1,000 square foot house. And, you know, never dreamed that you look back on that and you think, wow, there are 10 of us in that house. And, uh, we had only three bedrooms. Of course, mom and dad had one of them and the girls in one room and the, and the boys in the other with one shower. So I can't remember how we survived getting to school every day. And, um, dinner every night was served at five o'clock on the dot. And mom is still in all of us, a love of cooking. And so we had a very, very, uh, wonderful, uh, growing up in that household. And of course, as the family expanded, there were like 24 all of a sudden for sit down dinners on Sunday, every single Sunday. That's, a, that's amazing. I mean, I have a brother and a sister. Um, I can't imagine fighting for the shower. 
yeah. you know, with that many, <laughs> especially boys and girls. So at least girls can share the bathroom a little bit, right? Yeah, well, supposedly. Supposedly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, my I guess my daughters did fight for the bathroom in the mornings and stuff. One was taking too long. One was not, you know, makes sense, I guess. Um, so did you, uh, um, you go to college, go to university? So I did. I put myself through school uh, with eight kids. Uh, there was no money in the budget for college. But when I joined Xerox and uh, after that Information Associates, I actually got part of their tuition reimbursement program and I went back to school. So within four years, I graduated with my associate's degree, working full time and traveling and graduated my associate's degree in human resource. It was back then it was called personnel. And it started my career in human capital management, as it's called today, um, and had an incredible 30 years with Oracle, a great career traveling around the world and uh, teaching and helping and uh, consulting and also on the sales side, helping large organizations uh, figure out their technology issues with, with um, re pro uh, business process reengineering and you know, state-of-the-art software. So that was my my career. And then when I was 50, I decided to go back to school and get my bachelor's degree just because. I, and That's a good age to go back. I went back at 50. Yeah, just because. And I thought it's a bucket list. I'm going to finish this. And so my my neighbor, Terry, said to me, she goes, are you going to graduation in Saratoga Springs? I said, absolutely. She goes, you're going to be the highest paid graduate in that line. I said, it doesn't matter. I was there. It was amazing. That's cool. Congratulations on that journey. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when we go back to school at that age because of all the young people look at us like, what are you doing here? Are you spying on somebody, one of your kids or or what? I got that at ASU when I went back. I was 51 years old. Um, the oldest one in the class, actually. But it had its advantages, too, because they all, you know, it's got advantages. It's got advantages. Yeah. So you, um, you, you uh, where'd you meet your husband? So I was uh, going to learn how to ski in Grey Rocks, Quebec, and I lived in Rochester, had a lovely little house on on, uh, on Shady Way. And so I was playing a train and automobile to get up to Grey Rocks because I missed the bus. So anyway, I finally get there at two o'clock in the morning, didn't impress my roommates very much at all. And I noticed this guy dancing every single night with every single woman. We finally connected it, and then last night, and he first thing he said to me was, "Well, I've worn out all all every woman that I've danced with this week. I've worn them out." And it's like, "Well, perhaps you asked the wrong person." So anyway, that's how Dave and I met on the dance floor at Gray Walks. I was learning how to ski, and um, he was he was a patroller and also a, a ski instructor. So uh, it was an incredible meeting. It was the best winter of my life after we met, and. Um, it was an amazing uh, connection, my soulmate for 30 years, and we had a wonderful life together. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a pretty cool story. That's a cool story. A lot of people just have the blasé stories. I met my wife in a restaurant, you know, <laughs> just a restaurant. That's all it was, was a restaurant. But I went back every night after shift, see, she thought I was stalking her, which I, I guess, if you look back on that, in a good way, though. Yes. In a good way. In a good way. So you... Uh, your husband, do you have any kids? No, no kids, no pets, fake plants. Fake plants. <laughs> so we were able to just travel. Uh, he would travel with me when he retired 
from the fire department and we would just travel. We'd pack up the truck and just hit the coast uh, up and down from Toronto right down to Florida and be gone a month or two. So wow, it, was a, that's cool. it was amazing. Yeah. yeah great adventure. That, yeah. That makes life kind of interesting when you get to do that a lot, especially like that. So he said he was a firefighter. Was he a firefighter in your, where was he a firefighter? Let me speak in English. <laughs> so he was a captain on the fire department in Mississauga, which is right outside of Toronto. So when you fly into Toronto, you're actually flying into the airport that he served, the Mississauga airport. So did you, did you live in Canada for a little while then? Yeah. Yeah. Did, and you, you met him in Canada. He yeah. was a ski patrol. And then, uh, very cool, actually. So as a firefighter in, uh, in Canada up there, you, um, you said that he died. Tell me about that journey. How, how did that come about? Was it work related? Was it instantaneous? Was it an on the job type situation? When Dave hit 50, he was able to retire full retirement. And it was interesting because he said he didn't feel lucky anymore between the babies dying in his arms and rolling garage collapses and nursing home fires. He had, he had an uh, amazing um, career, but when he said he didn't feel lucky anymore, uh, the, the chief took him aside and said, okay, you're on light duty and uh, almost like KP duty. And, and Dave retired at 50. And so after that, we moved to, uh, South Carolina, Somerville, South Carolina. And one of the things I'm most grateful about is he had 20 years of an incredible retirement. Uh, I still worked because I was still having fun and traveling. And he'd golf three to five times a week. And all the guys wanted to know how they could get a gig like that. So uh, in October, we had just moved into a new house. And um, in October, he comes out of the bedroom and says, honey, you need to take me to the hospital. I think I'm having a heart attack. And it's like, honey, I'm not taking you to the hospital. We're calling an ambulance. And he goes, no, no, I don't think, you know, being a firefighter and triaging and knowing, you know, what's was going on. He said, I don't think it's that serious. So anyway, that began a six month journey of trying to figure out what's going on. And it wasn't a heart attack, but he described his food getting stuck. He couldn't swallow. And it was finally diagnosed in November and, and December with esophageal cancer. And that's just, that's considered the firefighter's cancer because of all the toxins and the smoke that they inhale over their career. And of course, when Dave started, they didn't, they didn't wear breathing masks. They weren't invented yet. So, and I remember one time uh, I found this piece of laundry. It looked like a hood and it, it was in the laundry and I put it and I said, oh my God, I'm traveling so much. Dave has taken to robbing banks and it was really his no next hood. So that's another thing they changed on the fire department. Laundry doesn't ever go home anymore. So uh, Dave died in, in April of 2018, almost four years ago. Well, that's, uh, so you guys have been married for 30 years, right? Yeah. In a, five well, months short of 30 years. Five months short of 30 years. You know, that, you know, what kind of a, and I say this delicately, um, when you got that diagnosis, what did you feel like? So um, as time progressed, um, we talked about everything under the sun. And as time progressed, the, the outpouring of love between us was, was incredible. Never, uh, always in the moment, never um, 
only one time did I say, because he couldn't eat after a while. Only one time did I say, being the good Italian wife, you got to eat, you got to eat. And uh, I regretted as soon as the words came out. But when we first found out, uh, we were devastated. And Dave said, when we met, went to the oncologist, it was a process you go through, right? First you see the surgeon, then you have the endoscopy, then you uh, see if they can cut it out, and then you get a second opinion, and then it's chemo, chemo, chemo. Everybody said that except Dave. He put his foot down and said, no, there's no, no chance for a cure. I'm not going through this. I want quality of life, not quantity. And so the surgeon in Sloan Kettering said, you must cut the tumor out. You must cut it out. And it was for six additional months. And he said, why? And she said, so you can eat. And he said, well, with chemo, I'm not going to want to eat anyway. So why prolong the agony? And it's a, you know horrific with no chance. Uh, the protocol was horrific with no chance of a cure. You know, that it's, I'm, I'm sorry that he had to go through that, especially giving uh, his life for others in service of the community in regard to that. And esophageal cancer is not a, a pleasant thing. Um, anyway, for, for anyone, my father died of esophageal cancer. So I understand wow. what you, uh, you've gone through. So, um, the, did you guys make a, the theoretical bucket list to get everything done? You know, what was really cool about that, Michael. We didn't have a bucket list because we had lived life to the fullest, uh, through our entire 30 years together. Mm. We traveled the world. We went on, you know, fabulous cruises to, Baltic capitals and Rome, and we just had an amazing time. There's one thing left on his bucket list, because that's one thing we talked about. And he said, I said, honey, is there anything, you know, on your bucket list? He said, yes, flying lessons. I always wanted to take flying lessons. Mm -hmm. So for his last birthday, we had a huge party, and um, I made that happen. Oh, I got him cool. flying lessons. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. You know, it's ironic, because I know other uh, cops and firefighters that um, love to fly. Wow. That's, that's ironic that, yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. Um, that would be on my bucket list. I'm going to have to put that on my bucket list. <laughs> I'm going to have to borrow that. Do you think he'd mind? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> uh, so how did you guys prepare? Um, because obviously, you know, we have, is, as I said earlier in, in the thing, we have the, the short goodbye uh, where somebody walks out the door and you get to say goodbye and I love you or whatever, and then something happens and they never come home. And then you have what we call the long goodbye, which is something like uh, cancer or dementia or something that takes somebody slowly. And you know that the inevitable comes at some point in your life. Um, how did that affect you? You guys, both of you, actually. Yeah, we had um, we always went to Florida in around Christmas, around the holidays, either Florida or Hawaii. We had a timeshare both places. And so we were you know, we just gotten the awful diagnosis. Uh, we learned all about the chemo protocol and, 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 and Dave said to me, said, honey, let's go on vacation. Let's, let's do this. Let's go to Florida. And I said, are you sure? You know, are you sure? But what's the alternative really stay home and, you know, be you know, sad or, or go to a beautiful place. And, and that week in, in Florida, in Orlando, we talked about everything under the sun. And it was almost as if he wanted to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. And we talked about everything. And Dave had gone through four brain surgeries, two knee replacements, and two hip replacements. So we really felt, felt that he would just kick cancer's butt. 
uh, knowing everything that he had gone through. So um, we went to Florida and he had already made the decision to not go through chemo. And I'm so happy that he made that decision entirely on his own. And we get back and there were 15 messages on the phone. There's come, let's get your port, come uh, financial, make sure you can pay for this because chemo is a huge business. Um, uh, come get the pre-work done, blood work. And we hadn't even told them yet that we weren't going down the path of chemo. So we drove to that uh, meeting the next day, feeling like we we're going to a funeral. And um, we got through that. And that was the last time we saw the oncologist, interesting enough. So uh, that was a process we went through. We, uh, and then every single morning you wake up and say, good morning, beautiful. And then, then he would say, I feel terrific until he did it, which is about two weeks before he finally died. And just watching him, caring for him about a month before he passed away, he couldn't keep anything down. So I'd follow him around with these little plastic cups that I keep, keep cleaning out. I'd swap out two. In fact, um, you know, you find, try to find humor, right? We walked into a the bank manager to get the account straightened up and, and, um, Dave said, you know, I hope you don't mind if I get sick. And the bank manager almost bolted from her seat. And it's like, no, no, honey, this is not something you can catch. <laughs> so it was, you know, moments of laughter, uh, moments of, of, of um, he, he was more worried about how I was going to handle life after than he was about his imminent mortality. And um, Michael, I don't know how they know, but it was exactly six months before, after he was diagnosed that he passed away. Yeah, it's, I think that um, when I say this, I mean, this is your story, and, and, I, and I respect that. But I have to say with cancer, it's unfortunate that they uh, have the ability to kind of give you that diagnosis and say it's going to be a specific time, knowing the progression of that cancer without being able to stop it. It's, it's sad. And it, it, um, hopefully one day they can change that, I think, because it's a benefit knowing to a specific point, but at the same time, it also gives you a deadline and you guys mm -hmm. seem to have made the best of that deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So when he passed, you know, you again, took the long goodbye, but you got the opportunity to do and say what you wanted to say before he left which is always a good thing. Not everybody has that opportunity or doesn't take that opportunity when they do have it. Uh, mm -hmm. Did that help you to grieve a little bit better once he was gone? Yeah, I remember the morning he passed away. So he really uh, took a turn for a worse on the Saturday. And that Saturday, it was like the universe rallied and said, let's go see Dave, let's go see Dave. Food was coming over and visits on the porch and neighbors and friends would call out of the blue. And, and, um, and, and the next morning, uh, he took his last breath in my arms. And I remember saying to him, it's okay, honey, I'll be all right. But I lied. And there was nothing between us left unsaid. No, uh, no lack of affection or love. There was nothing left unsaid, no regrets. And in fact, my therapist who I, who I met about six months after, she said to me, the most profound thing she said, do you have any regrets? And I said, no, Kathy had no regrets whatsoever. No, nothing was left unsaid. We, we, we live life to the fullest to the last day. That's a good thing. That's a very positive thing. I'm glad that you got to do that. 
At what point past that did you decide to, um, as you put it, rebuild your life part two? Yeah, so I was lying on the floor. I did that a lot. I, I started to try and meditate and you know try to figure out what happened. It's like you know getting hit by a semi tractor trailer, and I would find myself lying on the floor a lot, just looking up at the skies and the ceiling, thinking, "Now what? Now who do I take care of?" And the answer came back quickly: "You, silly." No, I thought I was. I thought I was healthy. I thought I was fit. I was fit. We walked the golf course every week. I was walking with friends. I, I worked out with a trainer for seven years, but I was not healthy. And I tore my rotator cuff And about a year before Dave died and discovered this world of functional medicine. Uh, so when they first took a family history, they uncovered all of this autoimmune diseases running through my family, including me. I was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis, which I had to go ask Dr. Google what that was. And my brother died of ALS, which is an autoimmune disease. And I didn't know that. My sister's got graves, my, my brother's hypothyroid, all these autoimmune diseases running rampant through the family. So I discovered the Living Proof Institute up in Toronto. And I booked a flight, flew up to Toronto. And they put me on what they call the Essentials Program. And Michael, within six weeks... I eliminated all the medications I was on, including blood pressure, antidepressant, because that's what they give to a widow, first thing, sleeping pills, because that's the second thing they give to you. Um, I was pre-diabetic. Uh, I was on metformin, all um, estrogen for uh, hormone replacement, on all these meds. And I was 30 pounds overweight. So within six weeks of being on this essentials program and just changing my food preferences, I changed my health. I transformed my health. I lost 30 pounds in six weeks. I lost the widow fog that was, it's a very real thing. Uh, I lost the widow fog. My energy was through the roof. And so far, I've been like that for the past three years since I adopted that way of eating. Yeah, that's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, using diet, people don't understand or really understand how diet can really affect your health in a positive or negative way. So taking that opportunity, I think, you, I mean, you look great. For those that are listening to the podcast, she looks great. She's vibrant. She's got great glow in her skin and you're smiling and you're happy and, and you look good and it shows. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. It's, you know, it, it changing, I use diet. Uh, which people used to laugh at me for, to manage my rheumatoid arthritis, which is also an autoimmune disease. Yes. So I respect your journey because you know I've taken it myself and I can validate that it works. Um, I think that that's a, that's a really good move on your perspective to move that and to get rid of all of those drugs. And from that perspective, from that angle um, in itself is a wonderful thing because I think our bodies become too dependent Definitely on sugar, processed foods, uh, the, 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 it's called, it's called the Doritos effect, but yeah, you, your body absolutely does. I mean, they made the Italian girl give up tomatoes, tomatoes and pasta. So oh, yeah. it was, you know, and I thought six weeks, you can do anything for six weeks. And, and it was a complete health transformation. And that led to the first step in, uh, in healing, which is food is medicine. Absolutely. And Hippocrates said that food as medicine is so, so important. 
Well, you know, it it's we got to talk about pasta when we get done here. <laughs> I guess I've got a secret for you. Um, I grew up with my sister is half my sister is my half sister. She's Italian, and she was married to a Roman, uh, literally from Rome. And her, her his grandmother taught my sister to cook, and I got wow. fat <laughs> uh, for a while. It was good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, but medicine is, uh, food is medicine. I agree with it. That's part of your, you have a unique seven-step program to healing um, and, and helping yes. people through the the process of grief and as well, because you, uh, from what I've read from you and read in part of your book, uh, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read the whole thing yet, um, the um, clearing out the, the body, cleaning out the body, helps mind, body, soul, you call mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul, helps us to um, manage our grief, manage our loss, get competency, correct? It does, yes. And and I decided to go back to school to become a, a functional medicine health coach. And through that process, it helped me articulate the seven steps. And um, what what that, what that did, it, it not only helped me get over the the devastating grief of losing Dave, but also my mother the same year. And um, this, the steps aren't rocket science, but really uh, widows and widowers would just love the roadmap to say, okay, what do I do now? First, change your, change your food preferences because then you'll feel better. Because if you don't eat well, you're going to feel like crap and then you're not going to want to live or embrace life again. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how the seven steps came about. And you, when did you, how long did it take you after you lost him for you to kind of start formulating this? Did you go through the standard? And when I say standard, I, I use that term loosely, the standard grieving period, even though you knew stages. and expected it. Yeah. So they, it's called the five stages of grief, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, anger, depression. So I, everybody processes grief differently. I was just, uh, had this tremendous hole in my heart where you know, this larger than life presence was. So feeling that was the most difficult thing. And the key thing for me was finding new purpose. So I went back to school thinking, I just want to learn more about nutrition. And now, because everybody knows the link between cancer and food, uh, it's, you know, sugar feeds cancer, period, yeah. and processed foods. And, and then losing my mom to Alzheimer's, that's also, there's a link between food and Alzheimer's. You know, the aluminum pots we grew up with and, and things like that. So I thought I was just going to learn about nutrition. And I started journaling, and which was very therapeutic for me. I always loved to write. And this, the, the journal was made up of airplane uh, napkins and post-it notes and, you know, handwritten. And one day, you know, through meditation, the 12 chapters came to me. And so over three years, I finally decided this is a book. And so when I went back to school... And I was being coached and they said, you got to finish the book because that's the key to everything else. Finish the book. And, and the book was born. The book was born. The book was born. <laughs> I, had, I had a screenshot of it here a few minutes ago, but can you, what's the title of the book? The book is called How I Found Meaning in, How I Found Meaning and Humor in Widowhood, Firehouses and Organic Vegetables. And the subtitle is The Seven Steps to Healing after loss. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me. So we have the, we have the, the first step is that. So, well, I think the, 
without taking anything away. Um, the first step is to think about yourself. And yeah. from that perspective, because I think a lot of people, at least what I have in my experience on the job, um, was people stop eating and people don't take care of themselves or they uh, eat fast food because they're grieving and because they either don't want to take the time to cook, they don't want to take the time to clean and so forth. But it's relatively simple, I guess, to kind of get into a habit, even though you're going through this process. Yes, yes. And I realized it quite quickly because a lot of um, women says, just me, I won't cook. Uh, or the kids have left, I won't cook. But I realized that if I didn't cook, I, I cooked my whole life with, with Dave. Every night I was home right. and he was off shift, I'd cook dinner. You know, great, I thought healthy meals, but um, not so healthy. But um, uh, I learned that if I didn't cook for myself, I was gonna not going to feel well. So I had to change that, break that habit. And so the first time I went to the supermarket and bought one steak, one piece of salmon, one chicken breast, it, I was in, in tears. I was sobbing because... It was just another yeah. uh, transition you had to go through from cooking for two to one. And then I gave myself a mind shift, mindset shift and said, look, so you're cooking for one. Just think of it as cooking for two, but you got leftovers. So that became a way of life because we, we always loved leftovers. And, and that remains to this day. I still love leftovers. <laughs> when you cook, you got to have leftovers. Maybe it's the Italian in me. It's the Italian thing. Exactly. It's the Italian thing. Always got to have leftover. My wife loves the leftover. We make gluten-free pasta. And yes. Homemade gluten-free pasta. So she, uh, wow. you know, yeah, uh, that's what we'll have to have a conversation when this is over. Um, she, uh, she loves it. And she says she yeah. cries at the last bite, but we always have stuff left over because I put it in the fridge right away, see? So we don't eat it right then. <laughs> I see it kind of works. So on your seven-step program to healing, um, you talk about the importance of embracing grief through the transformation or transformative powers of laughter. Um, yes. And I know we talked about that uh, a little bit ago. You got to be able to laugh again and you got to be able to live again. Live, laugh, love, right? Yes, exactly. And Michael, the first time I laughed out loud, I had to do a double take because I thought, what is that noise? Because uh -huh. the first six, seven months is just all consuming, you know, this cloud over your head. And, and the first time I laughed is like, wow. And we had laughter in our lives in our lives every single day. And I found the same thing again with 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 Jeff. And that laughter is so important because it makes you feel good. It makes you more attractive for one thing. It makes you feel better and it helps lift the widow thought. Tremendous thing to do while grieving. There are tears and then, but you have to let the laughter in, whether it's watching a funny movie or calling up a funny friend, everybody's got funny friends or, you know, your funny brother, uh, you got to have laughter back in your life. I agree with that. It, and I think that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the grieving process doesn't necessarily follow a pattern that is going to be over in three days. It's going to be over in five days, it's going to be over in seven days, and then it's done. Um, it, each one is unique. Each person that, that loses somebody, that grieving process is unique, correct? Correct. And, and Michael, you said it in, in, in what you've done. There's the sudden death that you have no time to prepare for. And I know widows that have lost their, their spouse at an early age. And that's devastating because especially when there's children involved. Um, so there's a different kind of process for that kind of death. 
And, and for me, I had six months to come to terms, even though I, I knew I, we were hoping for a miracle that would just go away. And um, yeah, so different kind of uh, grieving process, depending on the situation as well. Yeah, I, I, I attest to that fact as well. I've been, we've had a lot of family members that died of cancer and it was a slow process. And even though you expect it, it's still unexpected when it happens because you, you kind of, like you said, you always hope for a, a miracle to come through. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it does not. And when it doesn't, it still floors us for a while and which will never really quite compare. I, I, something, if you don't mind me touching upon, um, when you had mentioned, uh, after you got done, who am I going to take care of was one of your first thoughts. Yes. So do you think that um, people who have taken care of somebody uh, get into that quote, I can't do quotes because of my <laughs> rheumatoid quote, um, uh, caretaker mode in, in lieu of like yeah. the, the husband and wife mode and, and that kind of sticks with them? Yeah, I, uh, I, I've thought about that often. And, and I think being a caregiver and a giver, I help my mom for 10 years before she passed and my dad and I was always a giver and being the middle child made you the mediator as well. So, you know, you get those 3 a.m. phone calls, you know what your father did? So i uh, always been a caregiver. And so when, when that was over, it was like, you know, now, now what? And um, then I started taking care of myself and it was life changing. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people who are in that position don't take the time to take care of themselves or they forget to take care of themselves. Even while they're caretaking, they forget yeah. to take care of themselves, not because they're selfish, because they're selfless. They're in the process of yeah. taking care of somebody. So um, I think that we should educate people in regard to, you know, be sure to take time for yourself. Yeah. And it was funny when uh, the last month, Dave couldn't keep anything down. He couldn't eat anything. So I felt guilty eating in front of him. So I didn't. But, um, you know, I still managed to sneak out for like a half an hour and have a sit down meal at a friend's house and you know, take little breaks for myself. Right. But you're right. You, you forget yourself. If you're a caregiver, you forget yourself. Yeah, it's going to get a difficult journey from there. Difficult journey. So as you put it, widowhood sucks, but it doesn't yeah. have to be forever, right? Exactly. So tell us about tell us about how somebody that has lost is a widow or a widow widow or a widower yes say that real fast three times fast <laughs> widow or a widower how can they start taking control of their life again to bring it back to laughter and love and living yes and so once the once i heal my body and went through the coaching academy and finished the book i decided it was time for me personally to um, pack up and, and make a change uh, the community, golf community we lived in was wonderful, wonderful friends and couples. and But there's nothing left for a single person. I uh, could never say the widowed word, but a single person. And so I decided to move to Sarasota. I had discovered it the December before um, going to a black tie New Year's Eve party and fell in love with this with the Gulf Coast. We always thought we'd end up on the East Coast because... We wanted to be, you know, by the water. So anyway, I found this incredible condo that opened up. First, I had an Airbnb. And then I said to myself, Mary, what are you waiting for? There's nothing left in Somerville. Why don't you just sell the, sell your house? So I made a phone call because I knew there was a couple interested in, 
in my model. They're mad when I bought it and they didn't get it two years before. So I sold the house over, I sold my house over the phone, had great friends who helped me pack up everything and close everything down in Somerville. And I moved to Sarasota. And um, about two weeks after, I discovered this wonderful restaurant called Madison's. And I was eating dinner. I was supposed to, my friend was supposed to come with me, but she backed out. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to have dinner anyway. And it's a great farm to table restaurant, great meals, uh, organic meat. So I was sitting there eating and I was watching this guy with a big, huge grin on his face, dancing with every woman at the community table and dancing, having a blast. And I looked at him, I smiled and he smiled and We've been dancing ever since. I, I see a so, pattern here, Murray. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as as a trained else. observer, I'm a trained <laughs> observer here. I see. I see a pattern. It's it was incredible, and you know, my friend Lee said to me, he "Goes, how do you rate?" He goes, "You have one great love of your life, and now you've got two. He goes, "Some some of us don't get one." So but, but, it, it's an incredible. They're gonna follow your that they gotta follow your footsteps. See, this is what you do. You go to a restaurant, you watch for the person that's dancing with everybody. <laughs> and, and you smile. And you smile, exactly. You smile. And yeah, enjoy and your really, meal while you're doing it. <laughs> and I really feel that once I healed uh, my mind, body, and spirit, my heart opened and then walked Jeff. I never dreamed I was gonna get married again. It wasn't in the plans. I just wanted a, someone to have adventures with and and to have fun with and and I think, you know, I think, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people close them off that way, that when somebody passed, my mother did that when my stepfather passed, I have a step, had a stepfather. Uh, she did it when my father passed, but then when my stepfather passed, she kind of really did it again. And, and she didn't want to go out. She wanted to do anything. She kind of felt, you know, uh, I'm not going to find anybody again. Why should I go out and kind of gave up. But yeah. you, you promote and help people and teach people how to take that step and step outside that little box and kind of reopen and reinvent our lives into a second chapter or third chapter. Yes, absolutely. And I've, I've met so many widows that say I've had the best the heck with the rest. And uh, a lot of widows say, I just feel stuck. And they see what, what, how my life has transformed is say that you're such an inspiration. It's like, you can do it too. You really, really can. And I feel strongly that the seven steps to healing is the key to uh, helping uh, widows and widows get unstuck to get unstuck and want to embrace life again. Yeah, I think that's a that's a positive thing because they, too many of too many widows and widowers sit around and watch TV and don't want to step outside that box. Um, this is what you're talking about is kind of manifesting with velocity, as you put it, going from <laughs> grief to full speed ahead on the dance floor, right? On the dance floor. <laughs> So yeah, it's you got five. You have top. You have. Let me speak in English again. I'm having trouble here. The top, I'm thinking about all this dancing, and and I should have, I should have danced into the restaurant when I met my wife. It would be more of a memorable really? uh, first, you know, meeting. <laughs> Although our first Valentine's date, I have to say this out loud. My first, we our second date was Valentine's Day, and we walked into the Italian restaurant, right, and it went to this nice, and they were run by Italians. And the little old lady Italian, Nona, um, she said, oh, yeah, come over here. Best looking couple in the whole place. Come on, come on, sit down right here. Sit down and get us all settled up and everything. And then we could hear her, the next couple to come in. Oh, you're the best looking couple in the whole. 
So we felt special for a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the important thing. So, you know, Jeff, Jeff and I uh, met in January. We'd be really been attached to the hip since that first week. And um, so I flew up to, to, to Rockland, Maine, and it was Valentine's Day. And just that morning in the condo, guess what rose up to the top of my dresser drawer? The last card Dave bought me was a Valentine's Day card. Oh, no kidding. Which he signed, and I wrote a blog about this, which he signed, I love you forever and a day. And it was just uh, incredible. I don't know if you believe in that stuff, but there have been so many signs. Message from the other side. Yeah, it's been amazing. So that was... It was like almost like, yep, it's okay. Go ahead, fly up there. Yep, definitely. Message from the other side. That's pretty cool, actually. Give you permission. Well, that's kind of what you do with your program. You give people permission. You allow themselves to give themselves permission to kind of move forward in life in a very good way, instead of sitting around waiting for life just to take them. Yes. Which is a Dave good wanted me to embrace life again, and I I, I know that. You know, spouses and and when you lose a partner, they would want the same thing. And sometimes maybe, you know, a spouse might be evil and say, I don't ever want you to meet anybody else. I'm sure that happens. But, you know, Dave is more concerned about me than than he was himself. And I'm sure that most spouses would want the same thing for their partners to embrace life again. Oh, that shows true love. I mean, when you love somebody, you love somebody unconditionally in regard to, especially in regard to that, if somebody... I would be devastated if I lost my wife. He would hopefully be devastated if she lost me. And knock on wood, that's not going to happen anytime soon for either one of us. Um, but, you know, it would be difficult to move forward and move on because it's hard to replace, theoretically replace that person and so forth. Right. But you teach people that the opportunity still exists for that to evolve and to present yes. itself. Yes. And it's you, you're never replacing that. Right. It's kind of like it's a totally new thing. You can never replace what you had. And thinking that you can leads you to say, I've had the best, forget the rest. So you can't think that you're replacing someone. Uh, those memories are still there. And, and, and Jeff honors that memory. Uh, we joke, you know, what would have happened if we would have met like 10 years before? Because he had been divorced for, for 10 years. And he said it wouldn't work. He goes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as mature as I am now. Right. And you wouldn't be the woman you are without date. Yeah, that's then that's very healthy. That's a very healthy relationship. That's very cool. I'm glad you found that. That's outstanding. It's outstanding. Don't go into any more dance floors, see, for a while. <laughs> stay out stay out of that area over there. You have uh five tips on how we to how to live well um after loss. Can you help us understand those five tips? Oh, the first one is sleep. I know when Dave died, there's this empty bed and sleep was just was impossible. And when you don't sleep well and you don't eat well, you don't feel well. So the sleep is something that um, I had to learn uh, from podcasts and the sleep doctor and figure out what, what was going to make me get a good night's sleep, because without that, nothing was going to happen. I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And that happened many times. I just lie there in bed thinking there's no purpose for me to get out of bed, especially on the weekends. The weekends were the hardest. And I learned that sleep uh, is, you can really improve your sleep by not having a TV in the bedroom. And I always had a TV in the bedroom and having a, a dark bedroom and only using the bedroom for two things. And that's sleep and sex. 
So those things about sleep really helped me uh, get a good night's sleep finally and be able to uh, want to get up in the morning and you know tackle the world. Uh, the second thing is food. We've talked about food. The next one, and this is funny, it's meditation. And I have had the Calm app on my phone for probably 10 years, but I only dabbled. And I thought meditation's not for me, you know, busy head, I can't quiet the mind. But I learned that when you do something for 30 days, it becomes a habit. So I enrolled in this online program for 30 days. And every single morning I'd wake up, would, would get out of bed, just sit there in a chair and meditate for 20 minutes. And I will tell you that meditation has helped me overcome grief. It's the, the biggest benefit of just sitting with yourself, sitting with your breath. And through meditation, all of these great ideas have come up about, the, I've got five books. Uh, one is a bestseller right now. I've got two books published and three more in the works. And that came through meditation. And all these ideas about how I can help widows and widowers came through meditation. So, and it can be as simple as two to five minutes. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It can be really short. And so I'm holding a retreat in Sarasota, actually. And that's one thing that we'll incorporate into the five days of healing. And it will be meditation, beach sunrise walk, because being on the beach is healthy. And um, being in the sun, putting your face in the sun is very healthy for you as well. And then meditation and then beach yoga. So that's going to be part of the five days retreat in Sarasota. And then the, the last one is um, movement, joyful movement. And movement should be fun. And, and I, I try to move five minutes every hour, whether it's dancing in my chair, there's that dancing thing again, or stretching or uh, working out with my trainer on a Zoom call, which is kind of fun. Uh, we just recorded one this morning. And um, there's just so many ways to move. It can be gardening or walking or yoga or dancing. So those are my tips to live well. Simple things, but a lot of times those simple things get, get pushed under the blanket of grief. You know, those are amazing tips. I think that each one of us should follow that, whether we're going through grief or not. So it sounds like a very, a very good uh, five tips for living, laughing, and learning. So you, let me ask you this, what is your secret to success? Success in love, success in life, or? All of it. So uh, militant positivity. I've always had that my whole life. Uh, I brought that to the uh, I brought that to the forefront when so many things changed after Dave died. Every single thing was different. And militant positivity helped me say, yes, I can become a health coach. Yes, I can launch this business. Yes, I can you know, retire from my 30 years uh, in technology with Oracle. Yes, I can write three more books. Just that militant positivity for me is my secret. Just always staying in, in not not listening to the, the little guy on your shoulder saying, you can't do that. You, you, who, who do you think you can write a book? And, uh, you know, just getting rid of that little guy on your shoulder and saying, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And I did. Well, and, and you've got more, more down coming down the line. Had you ever, yes. did you ever dream of being an author or is that just something that came through the meditation and it, this is where you're at in life? 
Yeah. So the book came from, came through uh, journaling and uh, through meditation, the 12 chapters came. And then after a while, it's like, wow, I've got a book here. And it was a three year labor of love. And um, I remember flinging open the balcony doors on, um, and the condo was at and screaming out, Dave, we did it. We wrote a book. So uh, never dreamed in a million years that this would be a total life shift for me. Uh, never dreamed I'd be a widow either. Right. Yeah. Sometimes life, life presents itself in a very unique way, and the universe presents to us a different pathway sometimes. And yours, obviously, is to help people move forward in their life after they lose somebody that have been stuck, or you know can't get past a certain aspect of what's taken place, and uh, it gave you new purpose. I love the word purpose. I uh, yes. I think everybody needs a purpose, and sometimes we lose what we what we had, or we don't understand that was the purpose that we've just found is the one we were always supposed to do. Yes. So true. I remember uh, when I was just trying to re you know, transform my life, I thought, how could I be, get to be this age and not have a purpose in life? But knowing now my purpose in life was taking care of other people. So mm. now it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's helping, you know, burning desire to help others to, uh, to achieve laughter back in their life, to, you know, develop healthy relationships and to perhaps even find love again. You know, in the age of technology, that actually gave you a step up with that. You know, if the technology wasn't available that many years ago, like it is today, that opportunity may have slipped by and, and you know, now it represented itself, which is what you say about the fact that people can reinvent themselves and can move forward in life after losing somebody. They just have to be open to moving forward. Yes, yes, and open open eyes to the surprises that might await you. Exactly, like like uh, new love, because I know we can always find that. Let's talk a little bit about how to find you and your book, and what you do for you know in your business. Because I, I know that you've got um, you've got a uh, uh, the thing that you said talked about is just coming up here at the five day retreat as well. Yes. But let's talk about that. Yes. So I'm excited. I'm so excited to be able to uh, be with, uh, I've got five spots left, to be with five uh, widows who want to experience five days of hope. And we've got an incredible uh, week planned. Uh, we'll talk about food. We'll, 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 we'll cook. We'll, we'll take beach walks, meditation. I've got a night planned out in Sarasota, dining and dancing. So uh, it's going to be great fun, great reflection, great healing. And hopefully everyone will walk out of there with new bonds because this club of widow, widowhood is not a club anybody ever wanted to join. And being with like-minded people uh, is, is, is incredible because everybody gets it. Everybody gets what you're going through, uh, depending on whatever stage you're at and, and how long it's been. Uh, so the seven steps to healing will be focused on during that week uh, at the retreat. And it's a magical siesta key, which is a crystal white healing uh, beach, uh, one of the top in the U.S. So that's one thing. The thing I'm most excited about is my course of the seven steps to healing. And I'm actually uh, speaking at Camp Widow. I'm delivering a workshop in Tampa for Camp Widow. For anybody who hasn't heard of that, it's a Soaring Spirits organization member uh members 30,000 strong so i'm excited about that 
And um, I would ask anybody to find me on Marie Scott Wellness, my website, but join my Widowhood to Wellness Facebook group because that's a vetted group. Everybody's verified. It's a safe environment. And we're having some fun in there and uh, sharing the seven steps and uh, a lot of accountability and um, helping each other move forward. So lots of exciting things going on. Uh, the next book is a cookbook. So I'm sharing recipes from that. It's called Cooking with a Side of Kleenex. And let come join my my Facebook, Widowhood to Wellness Facebook group and, and uh, become part of the community. That's a, and I'll have all that stuff on the Facebook, or excuse me, I will have all of that on the show notes and on the webpage uh, before we go podcast.com so that everybody has an easy way to connect with you. Uh, I'll have your website on there as well as uh, how to get a hold of the book and everything else. And uh, I was so excited about your new cookbook coming out. I got tongue tied. <laughs> hey, what a brilliant, brilliant title too. <laughs> yeah. And, and the subtitle is cooking for one, two or 20. Because if you can cook for two, you can cook for one. And to cook for 20 just means you need bigger pans. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and again, you go back to food. Food. What is it? Love, li live, laugh, love. And then eat, drink, be merry. Yes, yes. There's the cliches <laughs> all put together all in one. And those are some Italian cliches in there. So it's all good. Uh, Marie, thank you very much for sharing your journey with me uh, here today. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about the, your steps in your process and your journey to where you're getting at now. I'm so happy that you found new love again and that uh, I wish you guys the most success in succeeding within that love and that it continues to grow until you grow way, 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 way old. Yeah, so hopefully at least 100 or more. At least 100, exactly, at least 100. <laughs> uh, this is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to share? Come get unstuck. Come join the community and figure out how to march forward one step at a time. Those are excellent words of wisdom, actually. Marie, thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Hey, just a real quick reminder. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being a part of the One More Thing Before You Go family. Don't forget that you can find us on your favorite podcast platform as well as here on YouTube. We thank you for your support and appreciate you joining us each and every week. Please remember to subscribe and or follow us. We would greatly appreciate it. We do have an app that's available for you for free. You'll find it in the App Store or on Google Play. It is compliments of Superpaths, our sponsor. Anything that you want to do with your business to take it to the next level, have an entertainment or an information hub in the palm of your hand, it's Superpass. It will give you the unique opportunity for everything one more thing before you go. Please take the time to support us by subscribing, following, and visiting our unique merchandise store at beforeyougopodcast.shop. You'll find that link to the store in our website. It is beforeyougopodcast.shop. You can find our website at beforeyougopodcast.com and one more thing before you go.com. You will find links to your favorite platform to listen to the show as well as the show notes for today's episode and contact information for our guest. And we appreciate you. Thank you for supporting and listening to us each and every week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. 
That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.